I'm Paul Levinson, and welcome to Light On, Life Through, episode 173, Joe Biden and the Republican Party. Well, all I've been doing here on Light On, Light Through for the last dozen or so episodes are reviews of great television shows, and I was beginning to feel guilty that I haven't done any political commentary, which I know some of you like, some of you are enraged by, no doubt. But last night, Joe Biden delivered what in effect was his State of the Union address, even though it's not officially called that because he's just been president for a few months. But that's what it was. It was to a joint session of Congress. However, not as many senators and members of the House of Representatives were there because of COVID-19. And it's never a good idea indoors these days to have so many people crowded together, even if they are wearing masks and even if they have been vaccinated. By the way, as my wife and I and everyone in the Levinson family has been, and I strongly urge all of you listeners to get that vaccine inside you as soon as you possibly can. But I thought it would be a good idea to talk about that address and in particular what Joe Biden promised to do and how likely it would be that he would get much of that passed with a Congress in which the Republicans, although they are no longer in the majority because of all kinds of arcane rules, for example, the filibuster in the Senate, even though the Democrats have a majority with 50 votes, that's 50 Democrats versus 50 Republicans, but the Vice President Kamala Harris is a Democrat. She could break any tie. But even with that, it's still very difficult to get much passed because you need 60 votes to break the filibuster. So I wanted to talk about all of that and... Right around the time when I was thinking of doing a podcast about this, my friend Phil Merkel, a.k.a. Captain Phil, asked me if I would like to come on to a show that he is substituting on as disc jockey earlier today on WUSB Radio, that's Stony Brook, New York's radio station or more accurately, Stony Brook University in Stony Brook, New York's radio station. And I, of course, said yes. So what you're going to hear in a few seconds is the hour-long conversation I had with Captain Phil about Joe Biden and the Republicans. And, of course, we also touched on all kinds of pressing issues, such as what can be done about this police rampage in which it seems like just about every day or every other day they are killing an innocent African-American person, usually a young man, but now women as well. Something needs to be done about this. This is just murder with the murderer wearing a badge. And all too often, they get away with that notwithstanding the recent verdict, the very good, just verdict in the trial of former officer Chauvin, who was found guilty of murdering George Floyd. So we talk about that and a little bit about COVID and all kinds of other things. And we're joined in this conversation by a friend of Captain Phil, Mary Beth Rakowski. And she has some sage things to say about these issues, too. So, without any further ado, here's the interview conducted just a few hours ago with Captain Phil and me and Mary Beth Rakowski. The Light on Light Through podcast. So I contacted uh, my good friend Paul Levinson and see if he had uh, time to come on. And I also uh, contacted my other good friend, Mary Beth Rakowski, and see if she was interested in coming on. 
and uh, and they are here. Paul, Mary Beth, welcome to the WUSB Airwaves yet again. How are you doing? I'm doing great, and you're apropos 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm usually awake at 3 o'clock in the morning, but not because I just woke up. It's because I haven't gone to sleep. That's that's exactly what I do. That's that's really, really funny because I... <laughs> you can I can I can actually see Bill McNulty start to send me um, directions for the show at around three a.m. and because he's just rolled out of bed, and I'm like, oh, I should go to sleep because I should at least have five hours before I have to engineer for him. <laughs> go ahead, Mary Beth. That's it. You guys are night owls. <laughs> well, absolutely. I mean, I always tell my students, uh, you know, especially you know, in these lockdown times, doing everything remotely. That you know, uh, I you know, I can answer your questions two, three, even four o'clock in the morning. But if you you know send me an email at nine o'clock in the morning, don't expect an answer until the early <laughs> afternoon. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly the same for me. And, and sometimes something complicated will just show up in my inbox at that time, and I'm like, oh, I can't deal with this now. Hey, uh, before we get uh, completely going. Um, I wanted to talk about where, I mean, Bill McNulty, uh, is a local hero. He, uh, is a local political activist. And, uh, I had, uh, him speak to you at one point on his show, uh, Paul, um, a year or two ago before the pandemic hit. He not only, um, is someone who, um, talks the talk, he also walks the walk. And he's put himself on the line many times in terms of protesting and, and, you know, it's, it's kind of like an interesting, I've actually had Bill tell his story on the air several times because it's, it's a story I never get tired of. And it's inspiring to me that he, um, is so passionate and, and, uh, involved. And yeah. So in, in that spirit, though, I did want to talk about, um, Michael Collins. And I have a couple of, uh, little clips here of Michael that I'm going to play. And then we're going to talk about him. And, and the reason uh, um, I sent you guys the clips is because I cannot, you guys can't hear what I'm going to, about to play over the air. So I'm just going to play these um, three brief clips here. And these, and this is like the first three I sent you, Mary Beth and Paul, where Michael, this is uh, the older Michael talking about his adventure on the moon. So we're going to hit that for about 45 seconds here. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about Michael. The thing I remember most is the view of planet Earth from a great distance. Tiny, very shiny, blue and white, bright, beautiful, serene, and fragile. The fact that I was behind the moon and out of communications, uh, rather than that being a fear, that was a joy because I got mission control to shut up uh, for a little while, every once in a while. And it was a chapter in my life, the, the shiniest, best chapter in my life, but not the only one. You know, I've seen it a million times, but all of a sudden I'll say to myself, oh my God, I've been there. I, I was up there, you see. Kind of takes me by surprise, despite all these years. The thing I remember, the thing I remember. Whoops. Okay, so I accidentally hit that button three times. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that was Michael Collins, and he, uh, the last thing he said was he's looking at the moon as, you know, as, as as a you know retired astronaut in his 80s or 90s and uh and saying i can't believe it i i was there and then he also answers the issue that he was the loneliest man uh alive at one point when he was behind the side of the moon and he was out of all communication and everybody thinks he's completely separated from all humanity but he was relieved <laughs> because when you're on these missions nasa would be talking to you nonstop the entire time you'd never have a moment's peace and and for those times he was behind the moon he was along with him with his own thoughts and he appreciated it um let's start with paul paul your thoughts on the life the long life of the hero the man who facilitated um our landing on the moon uh, michael collins well it's interesting because i've been thinking a lot about the moon lately and about the space program because of the superb series on apple tv for all mankind which had just concluded its uh, second season a couple of days ago. It's, it's an alternate history in which the Soviet Union surprisingly gets to the moon a couple of weeks before we do, back in 1969. 
And, and that's where everything begins to change. And actually, it's a much more space oriented reality because there's real competition between the U.S. and the Soviets. It's so much so that in the third season, there'll be a, a, an actual uh, human being walking on planet Mars in the mid 1990s. But, you know, it made me think of uh, someone like Collins. And, you know, when I was a, a kid, or actually not a kid, you know, just a, a young adult, you know, back, you know, 1969, I felt bad for Michael Collins because, you know, it seemed to me, like, in my selfish way, that, hey, he got all the way to the moon, but because of the strategy of the mission, he was not able to actually walk on the moon and he would forever be, you know, the, the, the third wheel, uh, you know, who was very, very close, but not actually there. But as time has gone on, you know, and I've mellowed a little bit and apropos listening to those, uh, those interview clips that you played, I think Michael Collins had a profound role and Although walking on the moon certainly was incredibly exciting, who wouldn't want to be or have been in his position that close to the moon where he could just look out of his you know, window and there was the moon below him? Uh, but I have to also say, and, and this also gets back to for all mankind, it, it does make me sad to think about how in our reality, how little progress we've made since 1969. So, in fact, you know, other than the, you know, Apollo missions, which very quickly ended, we, we haven't been to the moon, you know, since then. And, you know, we have obviously done accomplishments that are impressive with the space shuttle and, you know, various other significant things. But here we are in 2021, and uh, you know, stars are going to look at this period as a very odd period for humans in space because we made such great accomplishments back in the 60s, and then we moved so little forward. And I'm just hoping that what history will show in a few years is that we got back out into space, and we got back to the moon, and we got to Mars, and we got beyond because. Ultimately, and you're know, going to be talking about planet Earth in terms of Joe Biden and what's going on in our world. But ultimately, I've always thought and feel more strongly than ever that we're just a little piece of this vast universe. And we're never going to get on top of things. We're never going to really begin to understand what place we have in the cosmos situated down here on planet Earth. We, we have to get out there. And, and, and Michael Collins represents the greatest effort that we as human beings made. But the unfortunate thing is it was back in 1969 and we haven't gotten much further. Uh, Mary Beth, your thoughts. Yeah, that, that's actually a, a great observation on, uh, can I say the stagnancy? See, I don't want to say the stagnancy because I know right now, I know there's some really important work going on on the international space station and i know uh right now maybe still they had like uh the most people they'd ever had up there um as one mission came in right before another mission left i think they had like 11 people up there that's amazing we've got people living and working above us in space so that that is incredible but you're right we have not yet gone back to the moon and if we're not going to get back to the moon are we ever going to make it to mars although there's some incredible stuff going on on mars right now but just getting back to michael collins and his role yeah absolutely i agree he he um he had a pivotal pivotal role in the space in our space race and even today i hope he inspires people he started like so many astronauts he started as a fighter pilot and then went on to become a test pilot. And that's the route a lot of them took. Um, and that, that we will be talking about another later on in the show today. We will be talking about another, uh, heroic fighter pilot. So yeah. Yeah. I, you know, just looking at it from my perspective, you know, I, I, I agree with both of you. I, I feel that it would be, it would be nice that we get back out there on the moon, but at the same time, 
I have to look at the reasons why we went to the moon. The reasons why we went to the moon was to beat the Soviet Union. Well, the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore, but the moon is still there, you know. And maybe we went for all the wrong reasons, but we learned all the right things, you know. Mm. So we went up there, you know, to beat another country, to be the first. But at the same time, all we could do when we were up there was turn around and look back at home and see that there were no lines drawn between the countries. It's just, and see how small and fragile it was. You know, and you go back to Apollo 8, which was a terrifying mission because there was no second spacecraft you know, on Apollo 8. So if that service module en engine didn't fire around the dark side of the moon, those astronauts would have been there. And that would have probably put a cap on the entire space program, you know, for as far as we're concerned. So that sort of adventure and that sort of risk um, is the stuff of, you know, adolescent or pre-adolescent boy dreams. But it's also the, the harsh reality of, you know, it's cold in space. <laughs> it's unforgiving. And if you listen to Michael Collins, if you go on the NASA websites, there's all this audio of the moon missions and just the banter back and forth between Michael in 1969 and Mission Control. And talk about the right stuff. You know, it's just like some cool, this is his job. It's like, this is his thing. This is what he does. And Michael is... An astronaut, he's flying them to the moon. He's, you know, he is the command module pilot. He's flying them to the moon. And the dude was just so cool and so calm. And I believe his heart and his soul was in the right place. I don't believe he ever appeared to resent not being picked to land on the moon. You know, I think he embraced his role and took it as the opportunity that it was, that he was doing something that n almost no one else had ever done. And and it's nice to come back to, Paul, when you were talking about For All Mankind, which is something I'd, I'd like to start watching. I know you've been reviewing it on your blog, that these things still live in our imaginations. You know, these things still, you know, I was eight years old when they landed on the moon. And and my heart soared. But, you know, at the same time, I was also a, a, young, a young man or, or a teenager when they launched Voyager 2. And then as an adult, I remember watching Voyager 2. Some images of Neptune, you know, come through the TV. And I had already been teaching, you know, I had already been an adult with a, with, a, with a career at that point. But I watched that launch. And that's the sort of thing, you know, and I, Paul, I've talked to you about this in the past as well. We live in a time when we are the first people in history, in the history of history, to have seen the surface of the planet Pluto or protoplanet, whatever you want to call it. That's amazing. So, I think you have to take the manned missions and, and the uh, and the unmanned missions, you know, and, and what's going on on Mars right now is just another thing that's just absolutely incredible. Um, you're right. We need to get out there. We need to get out there. Um, you know, I want to cap it off with there are a lot of people, and there might be some people saying right now, well, well, this money could have been used to feed the poor. This money could have been used to solve, um, you know, diseases. This money could have been used for all these things. And I'm like, well, you know, if you look at the actual numbers in the budget and look at the way we've allocated things since those moon landings, yeah, we could have we could do all those things and we chose not to. So I think going to the moon and going to these missions don't keep us from doing altruistic things on the Earth. I think we're just not haven't decided to do that yet. And I think if we decide to do those things the way we decided to go to the moon, we could have it all. We could go into space. People didn't need, won't need to be hungry, and people could, you know, get access to medicine and things like that. Um, you want a final thoughts on Michael Collins, uh, Paul? Yeah, well, let me, I would just say, you know, Walter Mondale recently passed away, and so condolences, you know, to the Mondale family, and I think in many ways he was a great American. But, uh, you know, I've studied the, the history, the, the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, and lived through it. And it, it is one of the few things that, for example, Richard Nixon and Walter Mondale agreed upon, and that was that we shouldn't waste any time and money on space. And and that's why, unfortunately, uh, the 1960s were an incredible time. A lot of wonderful things happened then, uh, capped off with our getting to the moon, people on the moon in 1969. But a lot of horrible things happened in the 60s. The assassination of John F. Kennedy, which in many ways was a spark plug to make his 
JFK's vision come true uh, for NASA and America in general, which helped get us to the moon. But but then, you know, the assassination of Martin Luther King and, and Robert F. Kennedy and uh, the election of Nixon in 1968, in many ways, that's what put an end to the U.S. space program because Nixon hated the space program because he saw JFK written all over it because people appropriately identified the space program with Kennedy. But ironically, there were many Democrats who, not that they were angry uh, at Kennedy and didn't like the space program for that reason, but they were following the logic uh, that you were just describing, that, hey, we should spend this money down here on Earth. There are urgent needs. There are poor people. There are people that need to be fed. All of those were extremely valid reasons. But as you've just said, Phil, it was a serious error, I think, in reasoning, not only of the Republicans, but the Democrats, because we could have done both. And uh, it, that's part of why we haven't gotten any further since then. And we still can do both. Final thoughts on, on Michael Collins, uh, Mary Beth, and we'll revisit him at the end of the show at one o'clock. Yeah, um, an American hero. Um, I hope he's inspiring because as Paul just observed, there was a division between Democratic and Republican thinking, and we clearly still have that now. So uh, I truly hope that uh, we, we can unify enough to for, you know, move forward with our, you know, with our exploration of space and, uh, perhaps, and perhaps we will make it to Mars. So thank you, Michael Collins, for being a trailblazer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Absolutely agreed. And, and thank you, President Biden, for giving a speech last night when I had been asked by Bill McNulty to fill in for him so I would have something to talk about today. <laughs> um, I'm assuming, Paul, you watched the speech. Uh, I have to say for myself, and this is a very, I'm going to say something very selfish. Since the Biden administration has started and rolled out the vaccine and, and the various things that Joe and his administration have done, I've actually started to relax. <laughs> and, and I find myself not following the news like it's a life and death thing anymore, which I had been doing under the previous administration and where my wife, the lovely Mrs. Captain Phil, and there was be Annette, would say the most heinous, horrible curse words, the worst sailor you ever see when these things would roll down the pike. And and I remember we spend a lot of time, you know, and we're 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 trapped in this house together. We're both retired, okay? So it's um she she has to be the happiest woman in upstate New York to be stuck in here with me. But at the same time, it, I remember emotionally it put us in such a, 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 in a stressful position and we weren't, and, and, you know, we weren't arguing with each other. We would just like be reacting to the stressors. And under the current administration, under the Biden administration, um, we've tended to relax and we're sleeping better and, and we're, we're not angry all the time and we're not, you know, you know, reacting. Um, so that's a long way for me to say, that I haven't been following him too closely because I feel secure and I feel a little bit safer than I had felt earlier on. Um, Paul, I'm going to put you in the driver's seat a little bit. Um, what are your takeaways from last night's speech? Well, first of all, apropos you, Phil, and, and Annette, you were right to be stressed uh, before the uh, election of Biden and before he was sworn in as president because America came about as close uh, as we've ever come, and that was way too close indeed to becoming a fascist state. And we're still not over that now. You know, there are still millions of Americans who, who believe the outrageous lies and nonsense that Republicans daily spew forth. So uh, the other thing that I would say about relaxing and being in stress is I'm, I'm glad that the two of you are more relaxed now. I guess I'm slightly more relaxed, but not that much more relaxed because we still have an enormous amount of work to do and there are still dangers, uh, very, very serious and deadly dangers at pretty much every turn. Yeah, you know, the, the, the pandemic is not yet over. 
there could be a variant that bursts out. You know, my wife and I and our family have now been thoroughly vaccinated, so we're happy about that. But, you know, we're the kind of people, you know, hey, it's 95% effective. And actually, my wife, Tina, is much, you know, worse in this regard than I am. I take some comfort in that. You know, we got the Moderna vaccine, so we're 95% uh, protected. You know, but, but Tina says, well, let's say we're in the 5% that's not. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> you know really, this is statistics. It, it is a sort of, you know, like almost like a paradoxical kind of logic. Uh, and uh, I, I, I do believe we're in much better shape. But There's, there's a dark cloud uh, around every silver lining is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And then, uh, look, I mean, you know, and Biden talked about this last night, uh, the, the, this, this, this continuing massacre uh, of, of African-American men and sometimes women by cops. I mean, I've been upset about this for years. In, in part, and I don't know if we've ever discussed this on the air. You know, I grew up in the Bronx, but, you know, I, was, I wasn't a tough kid. I was, you know, where I am now, you know. Uh, I do have, and still do obviously have a big mouth on me. And, uh, I'll never forget, I was 12 years old. I was standing in front of a Carvel. Uh, you know, you remember the Carvel? That ridiculous, atrocious, but still delicious ice cream. And it was like shortly before July 4th. I was standing there with my friends and a cop car pulls up and basically, uh, the uh, cop gets out and announces in a stentorian voice, all right, we're, we're looking for firecrackers. I, you know, I want you kids to empty your pockets, da 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 da. And, and the cop comes over to me, you have any firecrackers? Uh, please empty your pockets. And, uh, you know, my father was a lawyer, so I knew a little bit about the law. I said to him, to the cop, oh, well, do you have a search warrant? And, and that got the cop in a rage. He pushed me up against the wall and searched me. You know, he didn't hurt me. Um, but as years went by, I came to realize it was a really good thing that I hadn't been a black kid, because I might not be here to talk about that. You know, I, I, I was a white kid, so I got off lucky. I was manhandled and shoved up against the wall. But but obviously much worse is happening almost on a daily basis. And then while on the subject of guns, uh, you know, every week or two now there's a mass shooting. This has been going on for years. And so in addition to the usual problems that any new president would have, Biden really has a full plate of incredibly serious problems that he is beginning to address. And I, I thought the speech last night was an excellent speech. I think that Biden in the first hundred days is doing an heroic job. And yeah, he's not doing equally, equally well in all uh, aspects, but he, he's certainly uh, talking the talk and trying to walk the walk. One of the problems that he faces, and uh, I, I've been giving this a lot of thought, you know, the, the question is, can we Democrats, who in my view are the only rational people, involved in this uh, discussion, can we work with Republicans? And I think the answer increasingly is no, and we should stop wasting time. You, you know, the truth of the matter is, who are the rational Republicans? Uh, Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, okay, at least they're not barking mad, but, but we disagree with just about every single thing they think about, you know, as far as political policy is concerned. They think Biden's programs uh, they're proposing is going to cost too much money, et cetera, et cetera. And, and then you have these other Republicans who basically, uh, they seem to have no problem with what happened on uh, January 6th with, with the insurrectionists. And I don't see how we can cooperate with them or work with them. And it's now pretty obvious, and historians agree, that Obama squandered some precious yes. time and yes. capital trying to work with these people. Yes, and, 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 a thousand percent, yep. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, but I thought the speech was inspiring last night. I do think there are similarities between FDR and Biden because they both proposed uh, enormously powerful revolutionary programs. 
and both were criticized. It was said they went too far. And, you know, some of the issues are exactly the same. Like Roosevelt wanted to add uh, justices to the Supreme Court. Nine is not a number that's uh, mandated by the Constitution. Biden didn't talk about that last night, but that's something that's brewing there because let's say uh, some of this legislation is passed somehow. Let, let's say they do away with the filibuster. I don't see how that's going to happen either, but let's just say it happens. Well, that doesn't mean these programs will be enacted into laws that will have an impact because these same Republicans will then challenge the laws. They'll go to the Supreme Court. And now we have a Supreme Court that's been packed with Republicans uh, who, who shouldn't have been appointed there in the first place. You know, we've had at least two seats stolen from us in one way or another. So this is, you know, pretty serious. Uh, the situation, you know, needs a lot of attention and hard work. And uh, we're still in fairly dire straits. But at least the, this lunatic that we had to live with for four years, the, this proto-Hitler, is no longer in the White House. Wow. Mary Beth, your thoughts on last night's speech? Yeah, the, the, yeah, a last night's speech. So I'm sitting here nodding as Paul was talking. I'm sitting here nodding right along with him. I agree with so much of that. Um, last night's speech, ambitious, exciting. I, I, I won't, I'll be the first one to be like, okay, yeah, I don't think we're going to get all that done or I'm, I'm, you know, I have some concerns, but oh, I love to hear, I, I want to hear. This is what I've been craving for like the past. I don't know how long someone was like, look, this is, come on, guys, we're going to do this. We're going to try this. We're going to try this. Yes. Move us forward. But um, just to what you guys were saying, uh, first of all, yeah, me too. I relaxed a little bit, but um, we, we really can't relax. The fight isn't over yet. There's still so much to do. Um, and Paul, your story about being a little kid getting and the cop, how, how has it come to pass, you guys? And not just the cops, but the Republicans, too. How has it come to pass that we have such a reactionary police force who kind of tend to go to the most extreme measures first? And we have Republicans who tend to just want to um, uh, completely block anything we try to do. Like, how did we create these people who are so... What is the word I'm looking for? So concrete in their thinking that it's their way or no way at all. Like, how has that come to pass? Well, I think, you know, just, just to jump in for a second, I think it's possibly always been like that. And the difference is now we all have a film studio in our phones. <laughs> so I think we're just being, I think, I think we're just being shown what's been there all the time. I mean, you think about it, if Paul's friends on the, you know, on the street corner, um, you know, they're at Carvel, you know, trying to buy a Fudgy the Whale, you know, or a cookie puss. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, if there was a film of that going on, you know, that Paul, you know, because cause that was not, you know, that was not, you know, a legal search. You know, it, that was not a legal search. And the police obviously had something better to do than bother, uh, you know, Paul and his friends. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming Paul looked like a, a big tough guy and he was very terrifying. <laughs> you know, so i mean there's that you know that but ice once, cream you were what, threatening with the ice cream yes yes he was going to ice him but at the same time these guys obviously had nothing else better to do at that point you know and you know it's my jamie is so involved with um the black lives matter movement up in the north country and and the poor people's campaign up in the north country and I'm so proud of the kid, but Paul and Mary Beth at the same time, when Jamie messages me and says, Dad, I'm going to go, and I'm, we're doing this today, we're doing that today, the first words I text back to Jamie, the three words are, don't get shot. Yes. <laughs> now, of course, shot, Jamie, run over. Yeah, and Jamie, of course, you know, is Caucasian like I am, like Annette is, you know, and has that privilege, you know, but... But it's it's scary. It's scary that, that you know, that we live in this it, situation, you know, and, and, and is, go ahead, Mary Beth. Yeah, it is scary. And some of the new laws being passed on protester rights are 
terrifying. They, 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 you can hit a protester with your car and get away with it in a couple different places now. Like, yeah. what's up with that? Yeah. yeah. Well, what, what's up? What's up with that? Unfortunately, is if you look at what happened in in Germany, uh, beginning in the late 1920s through the early 1930s, and then culminating with the Nazi Party. Not only, by the way, being elected in a democratic election, but people tend to forget that. Hitler didn't seize power out of the clear blue sky. He was elected twice in, in democratic elections in, in Germany, and then he seized power. But there were plenty of signals that that was going to happen. Intolerance for anyone who has any uh, divergence in viewpoints, uh, separating the world into uh, us versus them, and them is anyone who doesn't uh, agree with you completely. And the Republicans for years have been promulgating that point of view. And look, there are people in the United States who, for good reasons, think that police should be reported. Uh, some, <laughs> that was a good Freudian slip. I think they should be reported when they do things wrong. But there are people who think police need to be supported. And, and certainly police do do good things. But, I, you know, I mean, it's a very interesting question, uh, you know, that Mary Beth raised. When did it happen that police who are supposed to protect us somehow segued to, in addition to protecting us, to killing us, you know, and, and I mean, it's a pretty amazing thing. And, you know, uh, Phil's point that that was always the case. We just didn't know about it. Well, I think that's probably true, but I also that, that this kind of violence promulgated by police is almost like an infection in itself. And, uh, and this is why the verdict in the, in the George Floyd case is so significant. The fact that Chauvin was found guilty of murder, but, but, you know, I, the statistics are it's like one in a hundred cases that go to trial or worse than that result in a guilty verdict for a cop who has shot an innocent uh, black kid. And, and every time a police officer is accused of that and, uh, and even with video, and uh, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, it started, as we all know, with Rodney King in the early 90s. Here you have a video, and the guy is being beaten to a pulp to within an inch of his life, and it's right there on video. And what happens? The jury finds those cops not guilty. And eventually the feds came in and, you know, the, the cops, you know, were charged with some kind of fed, you know, hate crime thing. But But on the charge of assaulting this guy, Rodney King, savagely beating him, the jury finds the cop, cops not guilty. So th that, I think, has accelerated the problem. And I think that the George Floyd vertical, I certainly hope that it's a turning point and the beginning of holding these police to account. Because, you know, murder is a horrible thing in any case. But, but I can't think of a worse case of murder where the murderer is someone that we are paying that murderer's salary to protect us, and, and in fact, the murderer turns on us and kills us. And, and that's what's been happening with police. You know, um, going back to Rodney King for a moment, after the Rodney King verdict and the riots happened, and Rodney came up on, you know, Rodney came out and made his you know, famous speech, and, and he said, why can't we all just get along? The fact that that was mocked so much down, I mean, people like that became a punchline, you know, and, and, and in a lot of ways. And, and it's like, here's a guy who, who you're, you're right, Paul, who was beaten with an inch of his life. Now he's seeing the mayhem and the, and the terror and, and, and the violence, you know, in, you know, after, after his verdict was read. And years later down the road, we, we mock those words. I mean, I, I, that's beyond me. And, I don't think the same. I think the thing that happened with George Floyd, 
when when you know when he was dying there with two things two things first of all the fact i mean the horrend- the horror that he was calling for his mother okay is just horrifying but the opposite side of that is the brave 17 year old girl who stood there and filmed it yeah while chauvin looked her in the eye as if to say you're next turn off that camera and they were already treating all those bystanders as hostile like it's, whether it's a peaceful protest or just people observing something, they they automatically treat you as hostile. Which and and so consequently now we have um, we have laws being passed targeting peaceful protests. So uh, CNN is reporting that there's some something like ninety anti-protest bills have been introduced in thirty six states. And an example of the kind of thing is uh, in Florida. They signed a bill under which every person in a crowd, even if it's thousands, they could all face potential felony charges if even a few of them become violent. So that what that does is it effectively effectively because, you know, everyone's like, well, if, you know, one idiot decides to act up, I don't want to go and get in trouble because of some other. idiot, And that completely undermines our right to protest, which is one of our not only but better forms of 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 being able to speak our minds and say what, you know, say what we want to say about any given situation. And as, you know, if you want to participate, if it's in your heart to go down and participate at the end of the day, I mean, I went to Occupy Wall Street and I I, I went to Occupy Wall Street basically as a tourist. I, I wanted to see it there. I actually spent more time at Occupy Boston, uh, Mary Beth, up, up in your neck of the woods. I went down to that where they were camped out there. But when I went to Occupy um, Occupy Wall Street, um, I went once with – this is probably where it all began with Jamie. I brought Jamie with me, and Joan Baez uh, was speaking. You know, they gathered at City Hall, and Joan Baez was speaking there, and it was kind of amazing. But when we were ended up marching with them, we ended up linking up with them at the very end, and the police were behind us. And I said to Jamie <laughs> – if something happens, you got to go home. You got to get on the train and go home. <laughs> okay, go to mom. If something happens, you know, because they were looking to see where we were walking. We were walking in the street. We were walking on the sidewalk. We were blocking anything. And there was a guy with the Occupy uh, protesters who would direct us and say, "This is where you're going to step. This is where you got to step." To you know, and we were just walking with them. We weren't blocking traffic. We were walking to city hall, and it was kind of terrifying and and these are the same police that came and you know gave my mother oxygen when she had a brain hemorrhage you know <laughs> you know came came these are the same police you know that came and took care of my sister when when uh, you know she she broke her hip in my house you know that sort of thing these are the same you know police that would show up you know like when i thought the the oil burner was blowing back and you know you, you know what I'm saying? These are the same people who 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 I mean they're not the same physical people but that's these are the people yeah. i trusted and now I don't trust them. And, and uh, you know, it's it's you can't have a police force that's judge, jury, and executioner. All right, so maybe something happened and it had to be dealt with. But you know what? I, I worked in special ed for 30 years. And I work with kids who potentially, uh, you know, could be violent or had to be, you know, had to be, like, subdued in some way so they wouldn't hurt themselves or other kids. All right. Nobody got killed, <laughs> you know. Um, I've I've been threatened, you know. I've 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 heard threats, and these these are the threats, you know, of a disturbed eight year old. Okay, um, nobody got shot. Nobody, you know, and and the situation deescalated, and it's it's a shame that when there is an when there is an issue um, for the police, the answer always seems to be a gun, and I think they're out of their depth a little bit with some of these problems, and they need support. That's why. When I hear defund the police, it means to me that says that the police, you know, can't be social workers. The police, you know, can't be therapists or counselors. The police can't be, you know, professional um, educators who are dealing with, you know, disturbed, you know, children, you know, things like that. Police, you know, need support in that way. And that's that's what I hear uh, when I hear yeah, that. I, not, not that police should be abolished. Yeah. Well, I, I, I that's I think that. That's the nub of the problem. For whatever reason, we have become a society 
in which police, armed police with guns, are doing things that they shouldn't be doing. And, you know, here in, in New York City, and I assume in other cities as well, uh, you know, it's not an armed cop who gives you a ticket if you are parked by a meter and uh, it's run out of uh, time. Uh, it's it, it's uh, it's a, some kind of meter enforcement person. And because at least on that level, someone had the good sense to say this is not a proper use of an armed uh, cop. But but the problem is there are obviously a whole series of very minor misdemeanors. Uh, if you think about, you know, what happened to the poor guy uh, in New York uh, seven or eight years ago, he he was. Uh, committing the horrible crime of buying a pack of cigarettes. That wasn't the crime, but then selling the cigarettes individually. He's trying to make a little money. Uh, Eric Garner and, um, you know, the police came by and he was basically killed out there on the street uh, with a chokehold to his neck as well. So it, it, it is totally unnecessary and even insane for armed police to be dealing with such a minor infraction like that. And, you know, part of the problem, and, you know, police don't like to hear this, but unfortunately it's true. Who would become a police officer? In other words, you have a whole choice of professions. And what, what characteristics, what kind of personality would someone have who would want to carry a gun and enforce the law ultimately at the point of a gun. Who would want to do that rather than anything else? E even other, you know, related public service, like being a firefighter or, or something like that. Uh, the answer is somebody whose personality on some level enjoys doing that, enjoys wielding power. So, okay, if you are investigating a, a crime, Sometimes you need people like that, but the problem is people who enjoy force, that's why they became police in the first place, who in addition to that are armed with deadly weapons, and even if they're not using their weapons, they're also trained in how to use their body to kill people through chokeholds, for example, uh, those uh, people have no business being brought in for minor infractions, which are not felonies and in most cases are very minor misdemeanors. And, uh, and then, and in some cases there's, there's no misdemeanor uh, or any infraction at all committed. It's just somebody refusing to obey, you know, an order of a, of a cop. And, and then they go crazy. I mean, look, some of these things, as we know, they're unbelievable. What, what happened, uh, you know, literally as the George Floyd verdict was being read pretty much, uh, where a, uh, a police officer or a woman thinks she's pulling out her taser and instead pulls out a gun and kills a guy point blank. He didn't do anything wrong at all. Uh, a woman, you know? a woman, yeah. Oh, no, no, the woman was the shooter. The person who was killed was, was a, a guy, not a woman. Okay. That, yeah. Uh, there, there have been women killed also. No, this was the one I can't remember his name also. No, this was the one I can't remember his name. You know, there, there are so many people. This was yeah. the one who was driving. He was pulled over for some reason, maybe because he had an expired Registration sticker on his. He pilot. had something I, hanging from the rear view. He had a pine. Yeah. He had a pine tree air freshener or something hanging from the mirror. Yeah. Got pulled over for that. Exactly, and he's dead now. So I mean, I, you know, there, I mean, there's just something. You know, it's a very obvious statement. There's something profoundly wrong in in the very nature of policing. If something like that could happen, maybe the answer is, you know what? Don't carry a gun. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe just let police, and I know what people are going to say. Oh, yeah, well, what are you going to do, though, if they run up against a really violent person with a gun? 
you know, Gunn is going to win in a uh, match between a Gunn and a Taser. Well, maybe do what they do in England, where where police don't carry guns on them. They at least have to go to the trunk of their car or the boot of their car, as it's called in England, to, to get their gun. Uh, you know, and maybe that's why there are almost no cases of police killing innocent people, because the gun is not so, you know, in their hands as it is here in the United States. But but again, for progress to be made at this point on a federal level, we need Republican cooperation. And maybe they'll pass the George Floyd bill. Who, who is the, uh, the Republican who gave that, you know, the county address last night? Yeah, he's from the Carolinas. I forgot his name. I, yeah. I found that kind of a little off-putting myself that... Yep. It tended to be a little more religious than and, and substantive in terms of political or, or an opposing viewpoint. He was like quoting spiritual songs and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay. And one yeah. of the commentators I listened to on PBS afterwards um, said he's working on this bill. He could have spent his rebuttal talking about the, what he's actually done, and he chose not to do that. Yeah, that was, that was I believe, Tim Scott of South Carolina. Right. Uh, and he just called it a, you know, government waste. He's like, it's a wish list of government waste. You know, it just, and, 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 but here's the thing is they go, they take it a step further and he's like, you know, this president said he was going to bring us all together, but he's pushing an agenda that tears us apart. I have to argue that the, the polling shows most Americans do support these proposals and plans and they want to see at least some measure of all of this enacted. So this isn't tearing us apart. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why they have to be so reaction um, extreme in their in their in their reactions. I'm going to jump in here and tell everybody that you are listening to Lunch on Thursdays without Bill McNulty. I'm filling in for Bill McNulty today. At 1 o'clock, we'll have Cut Supreme coming on with a training session. 3 o'clock, Scotty O and the Beatles Show. 5 o'clock, Democracy Now! 6 o'clock, Sounds of Film. And 8 o'clock, my good friend Chris Laporta coming on. At uh, So what I'm trying to tell you here is keep it tuned to WUSB all day. Captain Phil filling in for Bill. Bill is fine. He's with family. He's spending time with his family. <laughs> I know it sounds so wrong when I say that, but he actually is. And on the phone with me is uh, science fiction writer, Fordham professor Paul Levinson, and friend, and also Mary Beth Rakowski of Sci-Fi Distilled and Trek Conderoga. Uh, and and also, I have to um, put out there that the opinions expressed here are the opinions of the people that gave them, and not the opinions of WUSB management as a whole. So. I know we're we're hitting a lot of hot button hot button issues here. We're we're touching the third rail here and here and again, and <laughs> as 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 we are wont to do on WUSB, and I want to reiterate to you, the gentle listener, that these are our opinions. If you have a problem with that, you know, write back to us. Let us know where you disagree. Let us know, but let us meet on the field of acceptance and thoughtfulness and patience, and see what we can learn from each other. And not impatience, anger, and aggravation. I think one of the things missing uh, in in the dialogue since, well, I'm thinking since Reagan even, is that it's a football game now. It's us versus them. We have the good guys and the bad guys. And I would hate for the liberal wing of the Democratic Party, of which I am so enjoy being a part of, um, I would hate for them to to demonize. Um, the conservative right, um, in in the in the way that lib- liberalism has been demonized, and and I feel that maybe someday we can meet together uh, in a place where we can have um, free exchange of thoughts without demonization, without people. Well, well, that would just happen on January sixth. Paul, I understand you need to be done it at noon. So what I want you to do, Paul, is before we go any further, I want you to give out. All your URLs, <laughs> all your uh, how can people contact you, your credits. And I also wanted to mention, Paul, that, that you, via the magic of recordings, are going to be on Destiny's The Voice of Science Fiction tomorrow at 1130 for their 30th anniversary show, Paul. So congratulations. Um, I believe there's going to be some music of yours and a reading as well. So that that will be coming up on their anniversary show. But tell people how to find you, Paul. Well, first of all, that's, that's really good news. and. Uh... I'll certainly be listening to that tomorrow. 
Well, so let's see. You can find me on Twitter at Paul Lev, P-A-U-L-L-E-V. If you're interested in my books, just search for my name on Amazon and uh, you'll see my some my 40 some odd books, about half of which are science fiction, half of which are media theory. Uh, my critics often say that my science fiction is sometimes so serious that reads like media theory. And critics of my media theory often say uh, that it reads like science fiction. <laughs> I, 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 I take both of those as compliments. So, uh, and if you're interested in listening to my music, uh, my 1972 album, Twice Upon a Rhyme, and then my follow-up album, <laughs> which came out in 2020, Welcome Up. You know, I, I was thinking of doing a second album. I was thinking a very long time. <laughs> uh, you, you can find that all over the place as well. You know, just search on my name on on Spotify. Uh, and um, you know, in, in general, uh, if you follow me on Twitter or on Facebook or any place else, uh, and and ask me a question, I almost will always answer the question. In fact, I'll always answer the question. You know, there's no such thing as an inappropriate question. I think. They're just inappropriate answers. Uh, uh, but let me also, in the few minutes I have left here, just uh, get back a little briefly. You mentioned, like, in somewhat halcyon tones, Phil, Ronald Reagan. Uh, actually, I don't think there's been a, a halfway good Republican since Dwight Eisenhower. Uh, and, and he was no great shakes either, by the way. He did do some good things, like the interstate highway system. He warned us about the military-industrial complex. But, uh, you know, the current parlance, uh, Ike was at best, uh, Ike, you know, he was, he was okay. He wasn't great. He was no Roosevelt or Truman or, or JFK. So, um, the Republicans have been at this for a long time and it's been a very long time since, uh, the Republican president was Abraham Lincoln or, or even, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, who was an excellent president in many ways. But he was President Theodore Roosevelt, like, you know, in the first decade of the 20th century, that is, you know, 1901 to 1908, that is a long, long time ago. And since then, the Republicans have been getting worse. And I don't know, as I said before, and, you know, I hate to leave uh, this delightful conversation on a divisive note, but just to reiterate what I said before, I don't know if there is any getting along with these current Republicans. And, you know, maybe they can reform themselves. You, you know, maybe somehow people like Liz Cheney and uh, in the House of Representatives and Mitt Romney in the Senate can somehow uh, stage a coup in which like-minded Republicans get elected to office. But uh, I don't see any likelihood of that happening and and again these two people are no great shakes either they don't support biden's programs they think what biden is proposing is way too expensive they, they care more about corporations maximizing their profits than people starving in the streets you know they they give lip service to oh we want to help all americans but over and over again they support tax reforms which basically uh, maybe throw a bone to the lower class, uh, throw a lot more than a bone to the upper class, and who winds up paying for that? Middle class uh, people. By the way, I, I read a really good article somewhere, uh, it, It's and a lot of people are not aware of this, the strategy of punishing the middle class, making sure that the middle class cannot rise and get into the upper class, that goes back to the 1950s. And it was quite a logical strategy. And it was a strategy that Reagan believed in, by the way. And that's why, if you wonder why every time there's a Republican tax reform, middle class people are always paying more, that's not an accident. The, the idea is you want to keep the upper class safe from intrusion by the middle class. Who's the middle class? Uh, uh, you know, labor is the middle class, uh, you know, teachers are the middle class, you know, all, all of these uh, people who tend to be progressive. And, and so the Republicans have 
quite consciously been doing that all these years. And so I, I'm one, one of the things I'm very happy about regarding Biden's proposals is I think that his tax ideas will be a great improvement. Make the corporations, make the millionaires pay more. Don't raise the taxes of anyone earning under $400,000 and, and give as much money as you possibly can to, to people in poverty who need the money. Don't just talk the talk, walk the walk, make the payment. So we'll see what happens. But to end on an optimistic note, once again, we're in far better shape than we've been the past four years. And now I think we all have to support what Biden has proposed and work in our own ways, each of us, as hard as possible to at least see some of these things change from proposals to reality. And I think in, briefly here, because I know the clock is ticking for you, Paul, uh, Liz Cheney, you know, and Mitt Romney would be very, very happy for uh, some in- infrastructure projects to be uh, taking place in their home states. I believe they would welcome that with open arms, this government, quote-unquote, government handout money, this because it would put people to work in their home states. It would probably make them happy and, and more likely to be reelected. You know, uh, you know, everybody wants to work. What, what, was, what was that line from the movie, Dave, uh, Paul? It's Monday. Everybody works on Monday. Remember that? <laughs> yeah. That was a great I, move. I want Dave as president, you know, and I, I, got, I got the Dave vibe last night listening to Joe. You know, it's like, <laughs> there's going to be jobs, jobs, this jobs, that jobs, this. And I kept on thinking, you know, everybody works on Monday. Now, where's Sigourney Weaver? Maybe she's going to show up when Joe's taking a shower. Well, we'll, we'll see what happens. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If the Republicans have their way, it will be something from Alien. But being against something isn't a policy. Being against something automatically because there's a D after your name instead of an R isn't a policy. You need to come up with, with real ideas and real solutions. And, and the solution isn't just quoting the Bible out of context. The solution isn't just, you know, this, this, this ridiculous economic formula that George Bush the first called voodoo economics, you know, this trickle down theory, you know, it, it, you know, it, it, you have to come up with something that's more meat and potatoes. And I think Cheney and Romney, while I agree, I, I, you know, they are not, I'm not my favorite people at all. It has to have substance. It has to be something. And just being against something, as so many Republicans are. I mean, we didn't have a chance to talk about it, but what about John Boehner's new book? You know? Yeah. Uh, go ahead. Right. Where, where, yeah, so where was Boehner when he was Speaker of the House? Yeah. He, 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 so that, I'm glad he wrote a good book now. But uh, Yeah. The, train, right, listen. The, the trainers left the station. you got to go to work, yeah. Paul, right? <laughs> yeah. No, I have an appointment, actually, in the city. But, yeah, it is a sort of work. It'll be fun. But I'll be thinking of you. As, uh, as a matter of fact, as I drive in, I'll uh, put my. Uh, I'll be leaving in a few minutes. I'll hear all the, I hope, nice things, maybe <laughs> nasty things you'll be saying about me as I drive in. <laughs> that Paul Levinson was the most awesome guest I've ever. The great thing about Paul Levinson is the fact that I can contact him uh, via Facebook Messenger at like one o'clock in the morning. And say, oh, I have a. I just scored a, a show. <laughs> Do you want to come on? <laughs> and nine times out of ten, he's able to come on. And then I think that's great because uh, you're you're a lot smarter than I am, Paul, and you're really good at this. And uh, and I love uh, mixing it up with you. You know, I learn a lot, and uh, and and I feel like uh, you know people people out there uh, get good radio, and that's what it's all about, my man. Hey, I'll quote uh, Fredo from The Godfather: "You're smart. You're smart." So anyway, very bad. <laughs> It was a pleasure meeting you. Great meeting you, too. Take care. Take Uh, care, Paul. That's Paul Uh Levinson here on WUSB Stony Brook. We're coming up on the 12th. It actually is 12 o'clock here. The Light on Light Through podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Captain Phil and Mary Beth Rakowski and me. I'll be back here actually in a couple of days with another episode of Light On, Light Through. And this one will be another review of a science fiction movie I've been very eager to see, Tenet. And I'm going to be posting that this coming Saturday. That's when the movie, it's May 1st, 2021, that's what 
this Saturday's date will be, and that's when the movie will be on HBO and HBO Max. And you know what? What I decided to do is, starting this Saturday, and we'll see how long I can keep doing this, I'm going to put up a review of either a movie or a television series every Saturday. So that's something you can set your calendar and clock to. Every Saturday, a review on Light On, Light Through of a television series or a movie, usually science fiction or maybe mystery detective. But then in addition to that, I will also be doing other reviews during the week from time to time, as well as political commentary. So, in the meantime, stay safe, stay sound, and enjoy. AD. She ripped the paper in half, then ripped the halves, then ripped what was left again into bits and pieces of history that could have been. Sierra Waters had read once that, years ago, it was thought that men made love for the thrill, while women made love for the sense of connection it gave them. Curled up with a good book says, Sierra Waters is sexy as hell. You can find out more about The Plot to Save Socrates by Paul Levinson at theplottosavesocrates.com. Paul Levinson spilled code about an ancient biotech war raging on in secret for centuries. 